I love music. I don't know. I, I'm going to guess that a whole lot of you love music as well. Sometimes I drive myself crazy because I get on a particular song and I sing it over and over and over. You know, and I'm, I, 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 sometimes I just want to say to Allison, why don't you just tell me to shut up? I can't stand this myself, but I can't help it. You know, these words are in my head and I keep, keep going. Now, if you are a music lover, do you care more about the tune or the words, the lyrics? Uh, I, I, I really am kind of a lyrics guy. Now, if the tune is really nice, it's, I, I really like it, I can put up with, you know, acceptable lyrics. But I like for lyrics and, of a song to be strong and to say something, tell a story. I, I can't believe the number of people that say, oh, I, I don't know about the words. Um, I, I just sing the song. Uh, I mean, I just like the tune. I, there was one song that I was walking around singing at camp one day, and I just really hadn't thought about it. And they said, do you know what that song means? And I thought, oh, no. Uh, but usually I know exactly what a song means. I, I, I lo- and I, whenever I hear words of a song, I, I'm always wondering, what's the story behind this song? You know, there's so many great stories behind hymns that we sing and, and, and praise and worship music that we sing. You, you may like a particular song and then someone tells you the story and you think, wow, that's even, that makes that song so much more meaningful. Uh, I was a big John Denver fan back in the day and you never had to wonder where John Denver was in his life because he wrote about his life. I don't know if I should admit this. Actually, I don't know if I should admit that I was a John Denver fan, but uh, I, I don't know if I should admit this or, admit this or not, but I'm a sucker for those made-for-TV movies about the lives of musicians I, I, I mean I'm just drawn to them I want to see you know how the Beach Boys got their thing going and Jimi Hendrix and all those and 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 and, and I'm almost always sad that I watched it in fact I was depressed for three weeks after the Beach Boys thing I mean because their lives always just always end in tragedy and I thought about that you know and I'm, I'm thinking why is it that so many musicians just flame out and and and, and they're and, and they end up in destruction i think maybe it's because these people more than anybody else it seems like are worshiped at the very moment that they're performing their craft they're they're, they're sharing their gift and their talent with the world and they connect at an emotional level that very few people do just imagine what it would be like with the lights and the smoke and the screaming fainting people out there you know um, I, I, I think that they just have greater, musicians have greater temptations, which is why, even though I play guitar, I refuse to play with the worship team up here. Um, actually, I have auditioned seven times and been rejected every, every time. I didn't want to say that when David was here, but since he's in California today. Maybe you can put a bug in his ear and say, you ought to give that guy a chance. No, I'm just kidding. Now, I think whenever we, we hear of people who have had advantages, I mean the advantages of talent, of, uh, of wealth, of prestige, and, and even authority because of, because of their position in this wonderful home environment, top level in education, you know, the kinds of advantages that most of us can only dream about. When we hear of these people falling prey to drugs or or alcohol, or sex addictions, or anorexia. We just have a hard time understanding. How could you have everything and just throw it away? How could you do that? Well, 
You know, all of us are prone to throwing away advantages that we have. This morning, in the Word, we're going to look at all the advantages that a believer in Jesus Christ has and the admonition not to throw away everything that's been given to us. We have been given, in fact, everything that we need to succeed in this life that God has designed for us. He's designed a particular life. He wants us to live it a certain way. And we've been given every advantage possible. Though, admittedly, success in the kingdom is not measured the same way as success in this world is measured. Our text today is 2 Peter 2, 1, 1 through 15. And we're going to get there in just a moment. Let me just give you a quick sense of of where we are so that it, it, it makes sense where we're going. We're in a mini-series mini about our church purpose statement, which we have crafted based on our understanding of God's design for our lives and our, our, our church. It is, as you might say, our, our reason for living. This is our purpose in life. Our purpose as a church and individuals who follow Jesus is to exalt the Lord, establish believers in the faith, and engage the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're talking about establishing believers today, and it's all in the context of a larger series that we're calling the 29th chapter, in which we're seeking to, to, to discern and determine God's plan for our church in, in the year 2012. It, it's important for me to say that God's design, His purpose, and, and the mission that our church has is the exact same as the church had, any church, all the churches had in A.D. 73 and 721 and 1877. I mean, surely it looks a lot different than it did in those days. People weren't sitting in chairs like this. They didn't, you know, have generally the same kind of music team that we have up here. Uh, they didn't have videos, for goodness sake, or, or, or overheads. But, but, what they were called to do is the exact same as what we're called to do. Last week, message that was very atypical. You've seen on the screen, this is part two of a series. It really has very little connection to what we said last week. It was sort of a foundational message about the difference between God's purpose for us, His mission that He's given to us, and the vision that we understand He has given us to, to go forward. But purpose and mission are the same throughout all the ages. Vision varies a little bit, but it's always tied to the world. It's been God's design for the church since it began at, at Pentecost to be structured with leaders and teachers so that believers can be established in Jesus and in God's Word and, to, and, and, and that they can live in the power of the Spirit, the life that God has designed for us to live. And what incredible resources God has given us for this life. What advantages we have to succeed in this kingdom life. Perhaps the question of the hour is not what has God given us, but what are we going to do with these resources? Are we going to, with thanksgiving, avail ourselves of all that He has made, all that He has provided? Or are we going to ignore His plan for worse? Or, or worse yet, Understand the plan and then try to do it in our own way. Here are a few things to look for as we go through this text. 2 Peter 1, 1 to 15. These were up on the screen last week. You might want to write them down uh, this week. And, and, and then go back and just look at the, the text in light of these things that we're looking for. Then we'll have some application at the end. Same thing. You can 
Just write that down and just look at the text and let it just take your mind and, and let the Spirit of God take your mind places that I, I, I've not even thought about. Sometimes when people say, well, what did he preach on? I'll say, well, what, here's what he said, and then I'll stop and say, no, wait a minute, this is what I heard. It's not inconsistent at all with what was being said. It's just how the Holy Spirit spoke to me, and that's what's beautiful about all of this. In a secular setting, someone writes, says something, you write a list, and what's written is pretty much what he intended. Sometimes the Holy Spirit takes things that a preacher says or a, a, a Bible teacher says and just goes so far beyond that. How many times have you read certain verses over and over in Scripture and then it's like one day it's like, wow, never saw that before. It's beautiful. Well, we're going to find these truths in this gorgeous text. And I, I don't know how else to say it, but it's, it's just beautiful. I know that some of you have been dwelling on this this week. In fact, one of you wrote and was telling me about what a, what a blessing this text has been. In fact, this person was, as Allison would say, over the moon. It's, it's just, that's where it'll take you. So before we read, let's look, let me just say, be looking for these truths. First, we grow in Christ through God's grace and through our knowledge of Him. Second, right in, in line, it's, just, it's the same idea. Knowledge in this passage refers both to an intimate relationship that we have when we trust Christ. Our relationship with Jesus, won't be talking about this much today, but just in case you've never known Jesus, you don't know Jesus as your Savior. It's not about our good works. It's not about trying to do better. It's about knowing Him because of His his death on the cross, payment for our sins. We could never do anything about our sins. Jesus had to do it. And, and when we are, are saved, when we trust Jesus as our Savior, we know Him intimately. But this knowledge is not only talking about that, it's also talking about knowing more about God through His Word. And since we need instructions for life, knowledge of Scripture helps us to go. And in fact, knowledge is an indispensable component of our spiritual growth. You know what? It's kind of like... People, and it is far less important that you care about the words of a song than you do the tune. But, like I say, if you're not careful, you'll start walking around singing songs and somebody says, really, you're singing that? And you say, oh, I didn't know. Um, it's kind of like that when people say, I just love the prayer and I just love the fellowship, but I'm not really into the word, you know. It's indispensable. It, no word, no, no growth. No knowledge of God's plan for your life. No growth. It's not happening apart from the word. Fourth, even when we're established, we need to be constantly reminded of God's grace and of his expectations for us. So let's read our text, 2 Peter 1. 1 through 15. I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version. Would you please stand as is our custom as we read God's word. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of God and Savior, our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain 
to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Let's pray. Lord, what phenomenal truth we have just read. These very great and, and very precious promises that have been given to us. Lord, you have not, as... You said, Jesus, to your disciples, you have not left us as orphans. You've sent the Holy Spirit. And all of this is ours. And we tend to get distracted, to get carried away with our own success. And set it aside, if not just absolutely throw it all away. So, Lord, establish us in Jesus. Establish us. In the faith, the body of work in the scripture that tells us about you. Give us the faith to believe. And as we believe, change our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Amici. If you've been reading this text this week, no doubt some questions have, have formed in your mind. And while this first verse is not so provocative with regard to what Peter was saying, exactly what... What's he trying to say here? It, it is nonetheless amazing. This is the guy who was given the keys of the kingdom by Jesus. He was the person who preached at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came and the church was born. He was the man who went to the Gentiles and shared the gospel. Not even understanding what he was doing, but figuring out as he went. He was the guy that God used to do such tremendous things in the establishment of the church that we're in today. Now, we may tend to think of Peter as this impetuous person who was always 
allowing his mouth to get going before his brain was engaged. You know, we, we kind of like, oh, there's old Peter. But I can guarantee you those in the early church who were alive when Peter was didn't think about him in that way. They looked at Peter as one of the absolute pillars of the church. He was on equal footing with the Apostle John, the Apostle Paul. And here's Peter saying, I'm writing to those who have a faith of equal standing before the Lord. That's amazing. Can I say a word to to those of you who struggle with your identity in Christ? Maybe those of you who are at this church or another church or at school or at work and you say, well, I'm just not, I I don't have as much as that person has or I'm just not that big. Let me say a word. Actually, it's two words. Stop it. Stop it. You have a faith that is of equal standing to the apostles, the 11 original apostles. And it's the righteousness of God that makes you worthy to stand before God. It wasn't in Peter's righteousness. It wasn't in Paul's or John's. They understood how helpless and hopeless they were apart from Christ. Everything they had was in Jesus. Everything you have is in Jesus. And that makes us in, in, equal. Our faith is equal to that. Of the, faith is one of those things we've got to spend some time talking about. It's just not that... A lot of people say, well, things aren't going so great, but I have faith. Faith in what? Well, faith, if you really press them, it's faith in faith. It's, there's not really an object, it's sort of a feeling. That's not what he's talking about here. We have been given a faith to believe all that God says, all these great and precious promises that we're about to talk about. And, and no matter what your role here or anywhere else that you find yourself, you are just as important as anyone, including the Apostle Peter. And that's pretty amazing. Right after Peter acknowledges his brothers and sisters in Christ, he extends to them a blessing of grace and peace. But this is so much more than howdy. Good to be in touch with you folks. I'd just like to share a little bit about though. Look at this thing that he says here. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. Now here's something interesting about the grammar. In, in verse 1, Peter identifies Jesus as God. That's what he's saying. God, our Savior and God, Jesus Christ. How does he say it exactly? Let's see. Our God and Savior, Jesus. He's saying they're one and the same. But here in verse 2, he distinguishes between God or God the Father and, and Jesus. You, you would almost think that he was saying that the Father and the Son are separate. Yet, this, well, that's what he is saying, isn't it? They're separate and yet they're the same. I want you to consider the way that, that Peter begins this letter and the way that he ends it. Look at, look at 2 Peter 3.18, the last verse of this book. But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Now there's more of a connection that you may see it at first glance, even though you see the similarities in these verses. This was, a, this was a technique that was very prominent in ancient literature um, known as an inclusio. They start and they finish with the same thing to bring emphasis. Uh, we may use that technique 
sometimes sort of subconsciously, you know, we just we start and we finish with the same thing because I want you to get the importance of this. But when a writer in, 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 in first century Roman Empire, uh, before that, Greek, it was a Greek way of writing. When, when, when this inclusio was used, you can be sure that there was a very emphatic point being made. So, here, Peter begins and ends his letter saying that, that this life we live as Christ followers is entirely clothed in grace. And grace increases as our knowledge of Jesus Christ grows. And he's using the knowledge in two ways, the relational and an intellectual way. Here and here, if you will. Think about it any way that helps you. He's saying that God pours out his grace on those who know Jesus as their Savior. And we only know him because his grace is poured out. And God's grace grows in our our lives with increasing measure as we learn more and more about him. And that happens when we spend time in his word. So, if you want more grace, spend more time in the word. Who couldn't use more grace? We all want more grace in our lives. Spend time in His Word. And as we're in His Word, (coughs) God's grace grows in our lives. Now, if I were to ask you to evaluate your relationship with the Lord, and if I ask you to base it, evaluate it on the basis of your feelings, would you say, oh, oh, I know that the Father is very pleased with me. Or, Or would you say, I just can't even... Imagine how disappointed he must be with me. I just, I, I, oh, I know he's disappointed. Did you know that he is delighted with you and he loves to pour out his grace on you? Remember a couple of weeks ago we were talking about he is thrilled. He loves, he is delighted with Jesus. And if Jesus is in us, when he sees us, that's what he's seeing. And he's delighted with us. The next two astonishing verses are going to help us embrace this truth or at least get a little bit closer. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So, verse 3 clearly states that God has given us everything that we will ever need for this life that we have following Jesus. Do you believe that? In, In your hour of great temptation, I mean when the temptation is tremendous, do you believe that? In your darkest hour of crisis, when there is deeper sorrow in your heart than you ever knew existed, do you believe that Jesus has given you everything that you need for this life? 
Whatever we may want to throw at Peter by way of our own personal experience, just remember, he was preparing himself for a violent death, and he knew it was coming soon. And yet joy oozes, just oozes from his pen in 1 Peter and 2 Peter. Then there's this incredible comment in verse 4 that should stun us. We've been granted his great and very precious promises that through them we, be, we may be made partakers of the divine nature. Having escaped the corruption literally like a rotting corpse. That's what this word is a very, it's, it's a nasty word. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Now, is, it, is, is Peter saying that we are going to become like God? Or are we going to become a God or part of God? Everything in Scripture screams, no! But there is no question that this is big. I mean, really. There, th- this means something big and it means something really big. And it means just what you suspect it means. It means that Jesus lives in us. It's not that we have become part of the divine, but the divine has invaded us. He's he's filled us. You know, in John 14, I referenced it earlier. I'm going to a little bit later. I can't recall. It's It's in a passage you'll be reading in home groups this week. But there's a verse where Jesus says, verse 16, I believe it is, says, it says, the Spirit lives in you, with you, the Spirit is with you, and he shall be in you. At Pentecost, the role of the Holy Spirit went from one of being walking alongside of those who followed God to indwelling the people who believed in Jesus Christ. And the life of Jesus is being lived out by the power of the Holy Spirit through us. And that power is not some um, sterile, uh, objective thing. He fills us. Within, within his very self. And that's what being partakers of the divine nature means. Um, and that means that anything is possible in this life with regard to the way that we live. The problem is that Adam still lives us. And that means that corruption through sinful desires is incompatible as it is with being in the same vessel as the Holy Spirit is. No matter, they're both there. Adam, Spirit, Adam, Jesus, both are inside of me. And the potential to throw everything away, in spite of all the advantages that I've been given, exist at a high level. So what are we going to do about it? We're going to fall on God's grace, and then we're going to roll up our sleeves... And get to work. That's what follows in these next three verses. And, and, and it's about becoming more and more established in Jesus. In essence, uh, or excuse me, in, in, in verses 5 to 7, there are seven qualities that should be re- become reality in our lives in, incre- in, in, in increasing evidence. It should be in all those who belong to Jesus. And these seven qualities are added to faith. If you, if you count them up real quickly from, from faith to love, you're going to find eight. But faith is not one of those things we add. It's already there. It's been given to us as a gift. 
And it's clear that while every abundant resource, or every resource for abundant life, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm a dyslexic apparently. I'm a dyslexic talker as well as reader. They get jumbled up there. They get jumbled up here. They get jumbled up everywhere. But the resource for abundant every resource of, uh, imaginable for abundant life has been given to us. And furthermore, we cannot achieve holiness on our own. Even so, an expectation is in place for us to work at holiness. Now you'll notice in verse 5 that we're, we're told to make every effort to supplement that which has been given to us. Our faith, and we supplement our faith with or add to our faith, then there's this list of seven qualities. Now, the Greek construction of this sentence tells us, it informs us that this supplementing we are to do, this adding, this work that we are to do, is subordinate to that which has been given to us, our faith. We don't quite see it, but if you think about it long enough, it'll make sense to you. Faith is given to you, now here's what you're to do. With that faith. And everything that we do is done in the power of the Lord. <clears throat> what has He given to us? What is it that's been given to us already? A righteous standing before God equal to that of the eleven apostles. Copious amounts of grace. A knowledge of Jesus that is both personal and intellectual. Great and precious promises. And we've been made partakers of the divine nature for goodness sakes. Now with all of that, get to work. Now, let's say one more time. We do not work on these areas of our lives in order to gain acceptance from God. We work because of all that He has done for us. And all that He has put in us. Tullian Chavidjian put it this way. If you can say that name right the first time, you are the man or the woman, either one. Legalism says that God's love for you depends on you changing. The gospel says love for you or God's love for you is what changes you. Get that? Make sense? It's so important to keep this in mind. Now, are there commands in the New Testament day? Old Testament? Law. Do it this way. Oh, sorry, you missed it. You're condemned eternally. That's what part of the reason for the law was to show us we couldn't keep it. So now we trust Jesus because we can't keep the law. We can never be good enough for God to say, you're in. Come on. Did good. I'm proud of you. You're in. We can never be good enough. So we get that. We've thrown it all away. We're, we're, we've thrown our righteousness. Paul said, I, I count it as rubbish. All the, the good things that I did in my life so that I might hang on to Jesus. Really, Jesus is hanging on to us. That's one of the great things, the great truths about all of this. But are there commands in the New Testament for us to keep? Well, yes, there are. And Jesus tells us in John 14, I knew I'd get to that sooner or later, that if we love him, we will keep his commands. But we keep his commands because he loves us, not so that he will love us. All of our good works are faith-based, you might say. Now back to 2 Peter 1, verse 5. Notice that we have a list that seems to be in ascending order. You know, add to your faith virtue, and then when you get, get a handle on virtue, then you can move on to knowledge. And once you are very learned in the Scriptures, then you can move on and so on all the way to the end. Um, 
is this list in ascending order or is it just a list primarily that God has put together for us to follow? Um, it, because of just the ways that we like to, to structure things, we think, oh yeah, it's clear. It's clear. You start here and you end up there. Well, actually, if you'll read that list, it's not so clear. And, and, and remember we were talking about the inclusio a while ago? Uh, it, this is not a classic inclusio. You look at the first word and the last, faith and love. They're not the same thing, but they are important in their location. The first thing that is stated, the last thing that is stated. Everything is done, everything that we do is based on faith. It, and, and these are all these, all these things are things that we need to be working on. But, Love, when we get to the ultimate place of maturity in our lives, love is evidence that God has us where he wants to be given. Um, you know, the rest of the qualities that are written here conform to no particular order. Uh, I'm sure you could come up with a compelling case, and I'm not going to argue with you about it. Uh, And I I know it would be quite interesting if we just go down this list and talk about it because that's kind of what we like to do. You know, we just like to talk about this list. But look, you don't need Greek to know what this means. You don't need to understand Greek. It's pretty pretty well translated in the the English. It's It's not a matter of knowing what it means. It's a matter of living this way. So... Spend time meditating on this list this week. One quality a day. Start with, with faith today. Just think about this faith that God has given us. And then every day take another quality on this list and end up next Sunday with love. And we can just have a big love fest next week when we, when we come to work or come to church. In some ways, you know, that was... A slip. It wasn't even a Freudian slip. It was just an old man slip. But it's true, isn't it? We, we come here, in some ways, to work. We're worshiping God. We're giving Him our all, but we're also working hard to understand what it is He wants us to do. Well, here it is. It's written out very plainly for us. Now let's fall on His grace and say, God, I can't do this. There's no way I can live this way. But I'm going to work at it, and I'm going to do it in faith, and I'm going to understand that you are the one who empowers me to live this way. This way. You're going to talk about this list in home groups uh, this week. And it's crucial that we work on this. We have to. But again, start off knowing that everything we do is based on faith and end knowing that, that, that the mark of spiritual maturity is love. We talk about so many things that the church needs to be doing. And when you read the New Testament, you know what the church says you need to be doing? You need to be loving each other. It says it over and over and over again. And next week, we're going to talk about outreach. That's one of our purposes. We're to, we're to take this gospel to the world. We're going to talk about in a big way things that we need to be doing that, that gets us outside of these walls, serving God. But first and foremost, he tells us, Learn to love each other. And then that message you take out there has a lot more power. A lot more impact. 
Well, so much could be said about this text, but let me move toward wrapping it up. I mentioned two important principles that we find in these verses toward the end of the, end of the text. I always do this. You know, I, I spend so much time in the early ones. And this one, it, you could understand why. It just makes sense to do it. But regardless, the meat may be in the last verse, but I am so spend so much time in the first verse, you know, that I, it's, it, you have to wrap it up. Um, first, when we're working on spiritual growth in the power of the Holy Spirit, we will bear fruit. The fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. And really... All of this list, it's kind of like Galatians 5, you know. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness. You see all of that in this list that we've just kind of glanced at but didn't really spend time in. But you're going to be spending time this week, I'm sure. And when we're not growing spiritually, so if we're growing, we're going to bear fruit. If we're not growing spiritually, we may rightly doubt whether or not we belong to Jesus. It's that important. Interesting though, in my experience, if you are here and doubting your salvation, and, and I, know, I know some of you, maybe several of you are. I spent five years, five of the worst years of my life not knowing whether I was going to die in an accident and spend eternity in hell. Because I got confused a little bit right when I first came to Christ and I was thinking that I'd do it just right. I was thinking that salvation was dependent on me. Not on Jesus. But if you're doubting your salvation, it's, it's highly unlikely that you're living like the hell you're afraid you're going to spend eternity in. It's, it's doubtful. Most likely you're very sensitive about your walk with the Lord. And, and, and again, this is not in the notes, but let me just say, it's about Jesus and not about you. And if you're thinking about it at that level, I, I got all ideas you're okay. If you're really doubting and you just can't get past this, talk to me. And we'll have about 20 sessions and then I'll say, look, I can't do anything with you. I mean for you. Uh, and, and then one day the Lord will just so gloriously, and it will be a different way than it, than it came for me. It's just the way it is. But this, these verses are pretty sobering, aren't they? See, here's, the, here's what the New Testament says. Salvation has nothing to do with you. Some of you are now awake. The front row, just jump, right? Just like that. Whenever I can make teenagers jump, that makes my day. Um, <clears throat> salvation has nothing to do with you. It's all of God. And then it says at the same time, watch it. Watch it. Walk in this way. And if you're not walking in this way, check up and make sure. Make sure that you belong to Jesus because the evidence ought to show up in your life if you really belong to Him. Well, that's the first principle. Second one. It's amazing how, you know, I, I write these out word for word. I don't preach them word for word. I'm pretty close. You'd be pretty surprised. That's why I get mixed up sometimes. But a little paragraph like that can turn into that. It's just the way it, way it is. And always a second, no matter how advanced we get in our spiritual growth and no matter how deep we go in the Word, it always comes back to the basics. Read Scripture. Pray. Walk in faith. Connect with those in the church in which God has placed to serve our brothers and sisters in Christ. Share the incredible news of Jesus with those who don't know Him. And do it all in the light of the grace of God. 
And expect to be reminded of the basics. Expect to be reminded of the gospel which has so much more to do with us than just meeting Jesus. It goes our whole lives. Time and time again, you're going to be reminded. That's God's plan for establishing His children in the Word and in Jesus. Peter says, I'm going to tell you this over and over. Even though you're already established, I'm going to keep reminding you. So, here's the challenge this morning. You've been given every possible resource you could ever dream of to make something of yourself. It's not really you who will make anything out of you. It's Jesus. He's the one who will change you. You are, however, required to work at your own spiritual growth. And, the, and while the answer is not in, in, in a how-to kind of a manual that, <clears throat> that, that people want to make the Bible to be, what does it tell us how to, how to add these things to our lives? It doesn't tell us. It just says do it. This is not ten ways to get ahead in business. If you follow the principles of this book, you're going to succeed. That's why countries succeed when we get away from the principles of this book. And we call good evil and evil good. We're going to fail. We're going to become inward focused. We're going to live life in in such a way that it pleases us. But this book is not written to establish nations. It's not written to give us how-to manuals that fill the Christian bookstore shelves. I'm not getting, there's a lot of good stuff in that. But that's not the purpose of the Scripture. It's to tell us this is what evidence of what the Holy Spirit is doing in your life. Live, live for me. Depend on me. And do the things that will put you in this place of living the way that I want you to. Even still, God is very direct in telling us what he expects from us. Here are a few things to consider, and hopefully you've already been writing, because we'll go through this and then close. Be genuinely, first of all, be genuinely grateful for all that God has given you. And as you thank him, ask in faith... For his resources to flood your heart and mind in such a way that it begins to change you. We've been given all of these beautiful things, but we don't dwell on them. We just think about, well, how can I do this? How can I do that? No, dwell on what's been given to you. That's the starting place. And and be grateful for it. It's amazing, isn't it, how we just beg and plead with God for something that's so important to us. And he answers our, our requests and we say, Maybe we say, oh, thank you. And now we're, oh, but oh, now I've got this. Oh, please. No, come with a grateful heart. Start at that place. Secondly, assess your commitment to Jesus and God's word. <clears throat> do, do, are you serious? Are you serious about this thing? Or does everything else crowd it out? I'm, 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 I'm being convicted. I'm very busy. And I have a lot of interest in addition to the things that I have to do. Assess your commitment to God and to His Word. Third, if it would help you, make a list of activities that will enhance your spiritual growth, such as Bible reading, prayer, 
etc. Now this may be too much of a temptation for some of you to legalism. We, we always tend and trend toward legalism. I'm convinced of that. I mean, just do these things and check it off. But I got to tell you, if we're waiting for God to do everything, if we're waiting for him to fill us as a robot, it's not going to happen. And unless we commit to spend time in his word, that's not going to happen unless we commit to prayer. Maybe some of you are just naturally inclined that way. And believe me, once you make this list, then there's a whole other message about don't depend on the list. Depend on Him. But make sure that you're moving in the right direction. And you will, no doubt, increase in grace and in the areas where God wants you to grow. And then fourth, commit to put yourself in the places to be reminded of God's great and precious promises as often as you can. In other words, be in church whenever you can. Be at home group. And connect with other believers in true spiritual, true genuine spiritual fellowship. When you get together to talk, do you ever really talk about the Lord? I know you're there because of your... Your, your, your common bond in Jesus. But do you, you talk about that bond? Or is it just kind of, you know, well, that's what brought us here. But now let's move on to important things like, you know. I can only think about um, somebody who was it telling me a couple of years ago. Said, you know, all that old people do talk about. Now, all they talk about is health and weather. And I thought, that's ridiculous. And then I was with a group of old people. <laughs> Not me. I mean, you know, could have been some of you in this, in this room may have been in this conversation. And I was thinking, all we talked about was weather and old people. You know, we, we sat in Starbucks and talked about health. I mean, not old people. We talked about health. It is fun to talk about other old people, though, you know, <laughs> when you get together. Um, but... We talked about health the whole time we were in there, and we walked out and we said, oh, boy, the weather's been something nice, you know, and I thought, okay, if I didn't know it before, I know it now, I'm old. But you know, what a blessing to talk about Jesus. I've said this several times, I'll say it again. I, I really desire for us to do so much more of this. When our elders come together, we're talking about, often talking about, most often talking about the business of the church. There are times where we start, we get into the Word. And I think every single one of us walks out of there with just hearts that are soaring. Just grace of God just falls on us. And we enjoy not only one another's company, but we just enjoy the presence of the Lord when we can do that. So if you guys would behave a little better, we could do a lot more of that. You know, if you just, you know, give a lot more. No, I'm just kidding. Sort of. Actually, if we would behave, you know, we could get to it. Just think about all we've been given. We have so much. In the instant we start getting impressed with ourselves, we begin to throw it away. We begin to put it aside. We begin to walk away from the grace that has made us who we are. Let's don't do that. Let's pray.